0: this is the educated home buyer everything you need to know to buy right borrow smart and build wealth through real estate ownership welcome back to the educated home buyer live this past week we got some updates on pending home sales came in a little bit better than expectations we got consumer confidence coming in a little bit better than expectations We got some information from Case Shiller with regards to home prices. We're going to go through some charts on that. Um, Got rates bouncing all over the place here, Josh. Do we? What's going on with rates? We'll talk about it, but more importantly, welcome to the show.
1: Well, I'm just happy to have made it another week, Jeb. Just happy to have made it another week.
0: (laughs) Every week is celebratory in Josh's world. He made it through a a tumultuous week in, in the mortgage business. Every day above ground is a good one, Jeb. Oh wow, are we going motivational tonight? No, less brown. Just, just, it's all all good. All right, either way, um so let's let's talk a little bit about what's happened over the last week, what's coming this, you know, this towards the end of this week. So we got PCE coming at the end of the week. So, uh we've talked about it before. Uh PCE is the Fed's preferred measure with regards to inflation, but because of how inflation was reporting towards the end of last summer, they started looking at CPI a little more closely, and CPI has more or less become um, the staple when it you know when it comes to to looking at inflation numbers. But with that said, we actually have PCE coming out on Friday of this week, and you and I have talked uh, just a moment ago and how you know it shouldn't be anything crazy. It shouldn't be out of the norm. Uh, But what are your thoughts on it, Josh? Well, we've seen the data trending
1: down. It's not trending down fast enough for anyone. So I expect what we're going to see is better data, data not good as anyone wanted. Sort of like when you have 102 temperature and they take your temperature and go, good news, it's down to 101.5. It's gonna be better, but it's not something uh, that the market is going to get excited about. Um, I would be shocked if there was any upside or downside surprise that would lead to a significant market movement or market reaction. Jeff, did you wanna talk about maybe why? Why does the Fed prefer PCE versus CPI? Um, the reason for that, CPI is a basket of goods and they don't really change it over time. They do make adjustments. We talked about some of the seasonal adjustments that they're doing annually versus uh, biannually now, but, PCE takes into account substitution effect. If something gets too expensive, people will stop buying it and they will substitute another good uh, for it. So for that reason, the Fed feels it's a better gauge of how inflation is impacting the pockets of households when there are other things they can substitute uh, in when something gets too expensive. I mean, you can't substitute gasoline for your car unless you have an electric car and we can't switch everyone over immediately, but there are some substitution effects. And primarily the reason why the market has been focused cpi when they know that pce is the more important figure or the more important gauge per the fed back last june we had a normal pce report either at the end of may or the beginning of june and we had a real hot cpi report and that's when the market went nuts so from then on we're going on what eight nine months here now of cpi being the bigger number or the traded number despite the fact that it's not what the fed looks at as closely
0: no, absolutely. Good stuff. Uh, with that said, let's talk a little bit about what's happened in the bond market, what's happened in interest rates. So it, you know, I, I can't even remember at this point, was it the beginning of this week, the end of last week? I think it was towards the end of last week. Uh, we had a little bit of flare up in the banking world. Uh, we saw a little bit of drop in in rates. Uh, is that when the 10 year went down to three, three, or was that this week? I don't remember.
1: I think we had the big drop two weeks ago, and then we had a little bit of more contagion with the Credit Suisse stuff happening Credit Suisse, um, over the previous weekend that sort of uh, brought it on. And right now, what are we looking at? The market had fear, high, high levels of fear. Yeah. So um, risk off, meaning money coming out of other sources and going into bonds, even though people don't necessarily think bonds, I say people, investors, traders don't necessarily want to be in bonds, but bonds are safer and there's uncertainty and they're scared, sort of like hiding under your desk in an earthquake. You don't want to be under your desk, but you'll be there until you, you're sure that things have stopped shaking. So you're just coming now, out with,
0: like super good, like analogies hot. tonight, coming in, know, in the hot. temperature one, the, the earthquake one. This is good, Josh. Just just hold on. Wait till I have for the second hour of the show, Jeff. It's going to be wild. Oh, wow. uh, but with that said, so banking fears at the moment seem to be calmed down a little bit. And because of that, um, we've actually seen a little bit of a sell-off in bonds. Um, rates, you know, have actually stayed pretty well contained uh, for the most part with all of that happening. So, you know, you know, the longer we go without a banking crisis, if you will, the does that does that in turn translate to uh less volatility in the market and rates potentially moving higher what are your thoughts on on that so
1: that risk off movement with uh the the banking issues as long as we don't have any more flare-ups then it will cease to be an issue and we will go back to trading fundamentals. And primarily the only fundamental we're trading right now is inflation. So inflation has to come down, has to come down significantly and has to start approximating what the fed would like over the the long haul. That being said, um, I'm not a banking expert, but uh, people that I know that are, that we follow, that we read, say it's pretty rare that you just have two, three things like this. You know, Jeb, you and I were talking before the show, before we came on here, Really, um, one of the guys we love reading is John Malden. And Malden's been saying for about three to four years that he thinks the next shoe to drop is commercial real estate. And it hasn't happened, hasn't happened. And he hasn't said, hey, I'm predicting in the next six months, in the next 12 months. He's saying, when you look at it, the trends are going away from high-end commercial real estate. You have malls with vacancies. You have uh, high-rise office buildings with vacancies. And all of that, unlike with your mortgage, 95% would be my guess of all mortgages are a fixed rate. So if things happen, you at least have the certainty of a fixed rate. We don't have the issues or the problems or the risk we had in 2006, 2007, 2008 with, uh, with adjustable rate loans. Well, in the commercial space, they are virtually all, like way more than 90% of all loans are adjustable rates. So we have record high vacancies because people haven't gone back to the office, buildings haven't gone or companies haven't gone back to their offices getting out of leases. My wife's company, I think they said over three years they they subleased one of their spaces, let another one expire, let the majority of the people work from home. And it was like a $7 million savings over a two and a half year period. Those are real numbers and they're not the only company making that decision. And when you see that less demand for the available supply of commercial real estate, And we also then have the people, their financing is rolling over. They have to let it adjust to where the current market is. They can do that. Or more commonly, those are balloon loans where they have to refinance them. So imagine you have a 10 unit apartment building, five of your tenants move out, and two months later, you have to go and refinance. The lender's not gonna look so smilingly on that um, unless they feel like there's there's new tenants coming to back that up. So I think there's some risk there. I think that's gonna be risk to the banking system. Does it mean that there's good news or anything positive coming out of that? Um, I I don't think so, other than it will put downward pressure on the economy, on inflation, on interest rates over the long haul, which will be supportive of residential real estate.
0: Yeah, and something you said there, you don't know when that's going to drop, when that shoe's actually going to drop. So with that said, let's talk a little bit about inventory. Um, We know supply and demand is what drives markets. Uh, When you don't have a lot of something and a lot of people are chasing that said good, it drives prices up. And that's part of the reason that we've seen that little bit of push here at the beginning of the year you know, pending home sales jumped uh, a little bit. Um, it was higher than expectations. It wasn't a big amount, but it was it was better than expectations. Same with existing home sales, you know, at 14.5%, what, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and it primarily has to do with inventory. So here is nationwide inventory. So if you guys remember our chart last week, uh, we were at 450 14,000 homes, I believe. We jumped from 412 to 414. Now we're back down to 413. So inventory hasn't really increased over week over week. In fact, it went down a little bit. You can see here in Orange County, we're sitting at the lowest level that I have to, you know, this is a merely a guess since probably, you know, when we were at 2,150 ish homes, that was the lowest level we'd seen since May or April of last year. Probably March, April of last year is when we saw this inventory. So 2,084 homes um we started the year at 25 something uh so down you know what 20 percent since then uh Huntington Beach sitting at 143 so it's actually ticked up a little bit since last week because we were sitting at I believe 140 141 somewhere in that ballpark new listings uh so we've seen that drop in new listings we're starting to see new listings pick up a little bit if this trend continues then you are going to see week over week uh inventory likely grow um you know so just something to keep a, keep a watch on with that number. Uh, this shows uh, new listings again week over week. Just shows you compared to last year, we had 93,000 new listings come on this week. Uh, this this year we had 68,000 and of those 68,000, 16,000 went into escrow immediately. Uh, so the number of active properties that are available is an increasing you know, enough, um, especially when you when you take that and spread it across the, the entire nation. Uh, this one is median home list price. So you can see the median list price is actually increasing uh, along with the median price of new listings coming to the market. So both are increasing a little bit. Again, has to do with the lack of available options out there. Probably has to do with that little bit of a bump in in interest rates, getting people off the fence, getting properties on the market, giving buyers a little bit more affordability there um, through March with that drop in rates. Median price of homes in contract. So last year we were sitting uh, at just over 375 right now we're at 375 so we we're down one percent from where we were this time last year with regards to the list price of homes in contract nothing crazy there to report percentage of properties with price with price reductions. so it looks like price reductions are starting to increase just just a bit uh last week's chart showed 30.2 percent of properties having price reductions this week we're at 30.4 so just a small percentage uh increase of people having to reduce prices and then this goes into california so many of you guys know we're located here in southern california we're going to talk a little bit more about southern california inventory here in a moment um, or california real estate uh inventory in a moment but josh what did we want to say about this
1: really the the thing that i wanted to look at you keep hearing doom and gloomers talking about oh my god housing crash is coming one of the things we talked about, it was stated most eloquently in our interview 10 days or so ago with, with Michael Zuber, he said the crash is in sales volume. That's that's a crash in sales volume, 35, 40% decrease in volume. But despite that, because of the supply demand imbalance, still not being in favor of a greater supply of homes relative to the new reduced demand, we're seeing 2% decrease in year to year median home price. So with that, I just think it's important to to take note of, can this change over time? Can those prices come down from here? Yeah. But for a million reasons, the reasons we've discussed ad nauseum here, um, I don't expect it to happen. Could we we be back this time next year and we're looking at another year to year figure of another 2%? Absolutely. That is possible. Um, Unlikely if we get support from from interest rates, which we're going to be watching and we're going to find out in the next two, three months. Do we just continue to trend sideways here in this new elevated uh, higher rate environment that no one likes because it crushes affordability? Or do we moderate and bring a little modicum of affordability back into the marketplace?
0: And also something important, you know, important to note here with the bottom of this chart, unsold inventory at 3.2 months, median days on market 30 days, sales price to list price ratio, nearly 98%. That's in no way a crash and that's no way uh any signs that a crash is coming i mean when you're selling properties in 30 days and you're selling them at 98 percent of the listing price with very little inventory on the market it shows that you have a relatively strong market especially you know considering the circumstances higher rates and just where we are uh with you know crises banking and you know just everything as a whole um you know still Still relatively strong housing market. California sales. So we've talked a little bit. um, So we're just going to mention this chart here. 250,000 sales estimated for 2023. Why is that important, Josh? Let's take it here. We're going to take this chart off here a minute and just talk. So there's a program currently in California that a lot of people have questions about. It's the Dream for All Shared Shared Appreciation Loan. In fact, you and I did a podcast on this specifically today uh, in detail Everything that someone would need to know, it's going to be posting next Tuesday on the podcast. So, if you don't listen to the podcast and you're interested in this platform, I mean this program, I would suggest going and listening to it. It's really, really good information um, to give you basically everything you need to know about it. Um, And on that same topic, if you're you know interested in investing, if you're interested in you know things like the loan estimate, you're you know debt-to-income ratio, any of that stuff. We're covering all of that stuff in detail on the podcast as well. There's a YouTube channel associated with that. You can go out, go to the YouTube channel, watch the videos. If you're more of an audio person, you can listen to the audio on YouTube or Spotify or Apple Play, wherever you listen to your music. So go check out the podcast on that. But you know something we talked about, $300 million in that program, Josh, 300 million. And we said that the average sales price in California at the moment, you know, is somewhere around $750,000. We just saw the median price was what, just just under that. So $750,000, and we said, you know, 20% down on that, would put somebody at a loan amount of roughly what, six, what do we say, six? 600 on the loan amount and that second
1: would be $150,000. If we did
0: take take a haircut on that Jeb and
1: say, that's median price, let's say the people that are using this program are a a little bit um, lower on the scale of purchase prices, even at 80%, you're talking a $600,000 loan and a $120,000 loan from the state in that second lien. So 120 to 150 is a reasonable number of what each Borrower is going to take out of the that three hundred million
0: dollars. And, and with that said, you, you divide that into three hundred million dollars, gives you what roughly twenty five hundred. Is that what we said? Twenty five hundred transactions yep. that the state can do. Yep. And if you're doing a sales pace of two hundred and fifty thousand sales per year, that's coming. You know that comes down to what twenty thousand, just over twenty thousand a month um, in, in in sales and. 2,500 transactions, you know, can, can be done with that 300 million long way of saying that money is probably going to run out very, very quickly.
1: Yep. It's 1% of the transactions. If we have 250,000 sales in the state and we do 2,500 of those, it's 1%. So, uh, you know, it's not the part of the the show where we, we jump into, uh, to questions, but someone had a comment here and a very logical comment. California dream for all loan program is going to make the housing crisis in the state worse artificially push up home values even more, which is guaranteed appreciation for Cal HFA. So there's a little bit of conspiracy theorist there, but I like it. I like the logic. I like where we're going with that. But when you look at it in context, it's going to be 1% of the market this year. Um, there's no way to say it's deflationary towards home prices, right? No. We're, we're giving, we're, even if uh, after the forest fire, when there's still little embers burning, if you come in and pour gas on it, you're going to make a little bit of a fire there with that and increase the risk. So you this cannot This guy's on fire tonight. I mean, like literally, I, told you, I got them coming. I got Dude, them coming. You, did you write these coming. down or are
0: they just stored up no, there? just right there.
1: It's right so in the old bean counter. But that's, so you can't, you really can't argue against that. But at the same time, is 1% of one year sales, increasing systemic risk. Um, no and the risk is not to the borrower the risk is not to banks it's not to the mortgage system the risk is to the state of california which they waste 300 million dollars on hundreds of things a year so if we're going to waste it let's make 2500 people happy and make them homeowners now that's self serving because i'm going to do some of those loans um and i'm in the mortgage business but you're 100% correct it can't be a negative for housing push prices higher push some more sales get some people into the market um but it is an awesome program if you're looking at buying I I am not a big fan of any of Cal HFA's programs. I always like to show my clients, say, hey, if you're interested, we can do them. Totally understand the program. I can pencil it out for you. And more than nine times out of 10, 95 times out of 100, they will look at the numbers and go, um, I will scrape, scrounge, and, and borrow whatever I need to do to come up with a down payment and get a lender credit, seller credit to cover all my other closing costs before I want a regular Cal HFA program. So I went to this, went into looking at this with a negative mindset, don't like their programs. I've never seen them do anything good. And Jeb, you know, i I punched holes in it six ways a Sunday. And I look at it and go, I, I don't know how, if you're eligible for that program, you wouldn't say, yes, I want that.
0: No, it, and and to go back to the part in in the, the comment that says it's going to artificially push up home values. Could it? It could to, to a certain degree in that lower price point because now people have money they didn't have before. Are they willing to offer more for a property than they would be? Willing to do otherwise because they're getting a down payment? Possibly. Uh, But again, that property still has to appraise. It still has to meet certain guidelines in order to make that happen. So, you know, I'm not saying it's not going to happen. I'm not going to say it is. There's a possibility that it could push them up a little bit, but it's nothing like you're going to see, like you saw a year ago um, in the market that we were in at that time. So let's pull this back up. We're going to get rid of that comment. Josh, uh, how do we do that? that's how we do it right there. And let's go into the next chart. Uh, this chart is, we mentioned earlier talking about Case Shiller and FHFA with regards to year over year increases. So this is basically showing a year over year increase of 5.3%. Uh, whereas you know in, in nationwide home prices, and this one, uh, monthly, shows what, 0.2%? Is that what it is, or is it?
1: a 0.2 after yeah, last 2. month being down 0. 0.1. So it was showing decreases last month. This month is up. And if we look, that's a February number. So yep. those were people that locked in December, January, before the rates had kind of spiked back up. So it
0: tells you how rate-sensitive this market is. Absolutely. And then we go to Case-Shiller, um, showing a monthly decline, uh, yearly 3.8%. Uh, we've talked about how case shiller is probably the gold standard just because of how they use you know um you know comparative sales analysis when when coming up with with their year over year and and uh monthly numbers with regards to increases or decreases but nevertheless we're seeing those increases have we seen prop you know prices come down sure we have but what does that actually mean let's look at this chart this chart came from fortune uh it just shows you know, the bulk of people out there that purchased during the pandemic are still sitting on a lot of equity. The people that bought at the very, very top, the people that got really unlucky when they bought, you know, just nailed the top at the yeah, they might be down underwater a little bit on the properties, but the majority of people still have a ton of equity.
1: Josh. Jeff, I got a trick question for you. Go go back to go back to the last one. Yep. Would you rather be the guy that bought at the peak with a four and a half percent interest rate? Or a bar we're buying here five seven percent below that with the six and a half percent rate. Me, I'd rather have the lower rate.
0: I mean, four and a half percent. It's going to be a much
1: lower payment. It's a it much lower payment, and
0: and I'm not so worried about you know if I bought a year ago. I mean, for me, it would have been a longer term purchase. Yeah, ideally, I would like the lower priced house. Um, You know, even if it was a little bit higher rate, but I know how much that rate has jumped. Um, and it's, it's significant. Uh, and at the end of the day, assuming I was planning on staying in that house, I think I'd rather have the lower payment, but that's just me. This shows, uh, wages, Josh, what do we want to talk about wages? We're seeing wages still increasing, right? So wages are still continuing to grow a little bit. Uh, but do we have wage inflation?
1: We, that's exactly what we're looking at. I, we like to throw up charts here every week, talking about or showing you guys what uh, what is inflationary. What numbers are we actually seeing? So when you you look here at this chart, shows you going back to twenty twelve, coming out of the last period of really high unemployment. What does this look like? Uh, There's a little bit of an uptick here um, from 2019 forward, probably COVID related, probably that last bit that's driven unemployment to really low levels after the COVID recovery. Um, But in general, you're looking at pretty standard wage growth over that period. I don't see uh, what the Fed is worried about is wage-based inflation with a really tight job market. We're seeing the job market loosening, not in terms of you finding more jobs available, in terms of there being more jobs uh, available as people lose their jobs. So from that, I look at this chart and I say, I don't really see any major change in trend that is showing us that that's going to be inflationary. Everyone wants to say, well, post-COVID, post-globalization, these things are going to change and they're going to be different versus what we've seen for the last 30, 40 years, going back to 1980 or so. And I don't know that anything underlying has changed. We're going to find out over the next two, three, four years once all the stimulus and and supply chains and everything truly corrects. But just a a piece of evidence there that we show that we haven't seen the wage inflation yet, which most of you probably know because you haven't had a huge amount of wage inflation.
0: And what are we looking at here, Josh?
1: So Jeb, just the candlesticks here, um, a couple things that we were candlesticks of mortgage backed securities. So we can see you want these to trend up. You want the higher candlesticks. It means people are paying more for bonds. It means yields, interest rates are lower. So we're above the 25 day average. We're above the 50 day moving average. So it tells us in the intermediate trend, is upwards. Now that yellow line at the top, that's the 200 day moving average. It's a more long-term trend. Until we get above that, um, you can't really say that we have a trend for better interest rates. More realistically, if you look at this, it's just moving sideways. But what I wanted to show Jeb, if we look at the next one here, it will show you the weekly chart. So instead of five days, each having their own candle. This shows the entire week compressed into one candle. And you can see over the last three weeks, all that bank volatility, we definitely came up off of the lows here and we're a quarter percent better in rates from the worst levels, Um, but we're still above that 200 day moving average is the gold line there at the top. Until we break through that, we can't really say that we are in a downtrend in mortgage rates. So that's what we're
0: watching and looking at. Do I see a reverse head and shoulders there? It's quite possible, Jeff. It, it looks, possible. it looks to be one. I don't know. I'm thinking it might be. If if we have any technical analysts out there in listening to the show, tell me. Am I reading that correctly? I don't know. Just kind of looking at it. Eh, weekly chart.
1: I guarantee you someone watching knows a lot about uh, the, the technical analysis and the thing that's important to watch the the candles will kind of tell you what you can expect to happen what the market sentiment these are measures of market psychology it's kind of telling you what the market is thinking not thinking how confident they are of moves the amazing part Jeb and I talk about this all the time the actual moves that big giant green candle that you see back there um Something actually happened in the world to make that move. But it is interesting how often real fundamental moves in the market come as a and, and about the time that you're expecting something technically to
0: occur. It is it is pretty ironic how all of that happens. Uh with that said, Josh, where are we sitting currently on rates? It's Interest kind of rate wise
1: yeah broad overview because again everyone's credit score is different down payment is different but your your uh government loans fha va standard balance high balance you're just below six percent, just over six percent at zero points. If you're wanting to pay points, you can get those significantly lower. Um, lenders are, are happy to have you pay to lock in at a lower rate right now. It gives them some insurance against that loan refinancing sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Um, conventional loans, you're you're looking, you know, six point seven five ish with zero points. Again, you can get that a good bit lower if you're you're wanting to pay points. Your mortgage advisor should be walking you through the differential, the break-even period, and helping you make that decision, it's usually a pretty easy decision. We've talked for years, don't pay points. In the current market where one point is getting you generally greater than a quarter percent discount on your interest rate, it can be advisable. It can be justifiable. You just want to walk through it and see what your thoughts are on the market going forward. And if you think a refinance opportunity is going to come up, the one quirk that I like to keep hammering on people, if you're in a market like Southern California, like the Bay area, other high cost areas where you have high balance loans, if you're doing less than 30, 40% down, high balance rates are awful. Um, just because we said we're already at 6.75. If you're doing uh, 25 down, you're paying three quarter to a point hit for even now a high balance purchase. So those rates are well up into the seven. So if you're in a high balance market, if you're able to go with a jumbo loan, the jumbo terms are gonna be significantly better. The jumbo terms are similar to even better than a standard balance conventional loan right now. So um, make sure again, that you're working with a mortgage advisor that has access to good jumbo options in addition to high balance, because when all you have is a hammer jeb, everything looks like a nail so you don't wow. want to put everyone
0: i told you don't keep them coming i got dad jokes all night this guy tonight's on fire well yeah i guess you know anyhow um cool so if you guys have questions put them in the comments below something i want to plug here because we don't have a lot of questions uh at the moment is a lot of you guys are often asking about hoa should i buy in an hoa Other question we get a lot is single-family home versus condo. So this past week, uh, we actually talked about single-family home versus condo on the Educated uh, Homebuyer YouTube channel. Uh, It was an older episode that we had recorded last year, but we just put the video up on the channel. So if you want to check that out. And then Friday, we're actually going to be talking about HOAs. A lot of questions around HOAs, whether you should do it. So we talk about pros and cons of living in an HOA. You know, the things that you really need to know, the things you need to focus on if you're buying in an HOA. So make sure uh, you check that out on Friday as well. Um, Outside of that, Josh, let's let's get into a couple of questions here. We had one question that can't really get into so much or, you know, because we kind of plugged it earlier. But Maria asked about information regarding Cal HFA and the uh, Dream for All uh, dream, you know, dream for all loan appreciation, share, share appreciation, loan, whatever it's called. Uh, we, we, we are going to be talking about it in more detail next week. Um, you know, we got a lot of detail coming out on it. Uh, but Josh, anything you want to plug on it at should, the moment? Should
1: we, should we see if I can do the 60 second overview of what it is? Yeah, um, sure. Let's, and, let's hear it. In essence, the state of California will give you 20% down to use for a period of time with no payments, no interest. When you sell the property, you will give them 20% of your appreciation. House goes up $100,000 between when you buy and sell, you're going to give them $20,000 back. Is this a good deal? It's an awesome deal. Depending on how much appreciation you get and over what time frame, I've run the numbers, your effective rate of interest on that money that you're borrowing, even though there's no interest, is just slightly above whatever Rate of appreciation we see so if homes go up at three percent you pay about three and a quarter three and a half percent homes go up ten percent you pay eleven percent interest on it so you want to pay more on it because you want more appreciation. The more appreciation you get, the wealthier you are, the more you pay the state back. Um, there are some limitations to it. You can only refinance that loan one time. You have to be a first time home buyer per Cal HFA's definition, cannot leave the property. You cannot convert it to a rental. So are there some limitations to it? Yes, for the most part, for anyone thinking of this, we have a client Jeb right now, more or less $650,000 purchase. Mm-hmm. The difference between FHA and the dream for all a conventional loan was about $700 difference yeah. in the monthly payment. Most people will go, yeah, I'll deal with some restrictions and some craziness to have a $700 lower monthly payment. Unlike most uh, Cal HFA loans, 680 credit score allows you to go to 45% DTI with a 700 credit score that'll allow you to go to 50%. No. Um, with that, it it allows you with a good credit score to, to buy a lot more home than you're going to buy otherwise with a lower payment. You
0: went over one minute. Uh, with that said- How much? How much over one minute? Like two minutes by- you oh come minutes. on! You lie. Uh, here, here's the thing. Uh, I, I, let's talk about the example. This is important. Uh, people, you know, we had somebody reach out from the show, uh, got pre-approved through you, doing an FHA loan, three and a half percent down. Uh, they're working with me as the agent. Uh, I was able to get their offer accepted with an FHA loan in Long Beach. And this program has since come out. Came out Monday. You went to a class, if you will, on it. Got all the information on it and came back and said, hey, Jeb, these people, these clients might be in a better position to do this. And so you said, numbers never lie. Let me show them the numbers, show them the pros, the cons of this program, and see if it's something they wanna do. In this case, like you said, they went from putting 3.5% down to now they don't have to put 3.5% down. They're getting 20% down, put down on their behalf, right? Which is making their payment $700 less per month. Right. So they're saving $700 per month. Guys, that's $8,400 per year over a five year period. That's $40,000. In order for them to have to repay $40,000 back, that house would need to go up $200,000 in two years. My guess is that's probably not going to happen. So this puts them in a much better financial position. And even if they say they wanted to put the 20% down that they're getting plus the 3.5% that they have. They could do that. They could put their own money plus the 20% down and have an even lower monthly payment. So at the end of the day, if you qualify or think that you might qualify, it's worth having a conversation with a lender to at least explore it. And again, not pushing you to buy something, but there's a chance that the money's going to run out pretty quickly just because there's only 300 million of it, like we mentioned earlier, and based on the average loan size and all of that good stuff, it's probably going to go pretty quickly. Well,
1: Jeb, I, I sent you an article just last weekend. The program hadn't even hit the streets yet. Um, it, it was originally slated to be a billion dollars of funding for it, cut to 500, cut to 300, which, um, as ZL said earlier, this is going to be inflationary towards the housing market. I don't think it's pushing home prices up 5 10%, but it is inflationary. It is going to make it harder for entry-level buyers when they're competing against people that qualify for this. So um, I don't think we needed a billion dollars of it. I don't know that we needed $500 million of it. That 300 is going to go fairly quickly in May. Or may not return again in the future. It's going to be an awesome program for buyers. is an awesome program for the state and for other residents of the state.
0: Oh, good stuff. All right, let's do this. Uh, uh, let's let's go with a you know one that we well. Let's just go here. Uh, we'll start at the top. Approve for the dream for all, but my lender is saying Cal CalHFA requires you to lock the rate in order to reserve the funds. So we did that prior to letting me know. Do you know if this info is true? So Josh, does it matter if your rate's locked in for one and is that actually required?
1: So to reserve the funds, you absolutely lock the rate. The rate with CalHFA, they set the rate, there's one rate. So we talked about if you're low income, you can go as low as 660 FICO, you might have an 800 FICO. Is there a different rate? On every other loan program there is, with CalHFA, there's one rate. If you're low income at 6%, if you're not meeting that low income, 80% of the area median, you're looking at 6.375. Are they going to change that next week? They might. No, they don't. Good they, they don't change. They don't change that often. So I don't think the lock. This is not like, hey, I'm I'm hoping or thinking rates are going to go down. The most important thing with this reserve the funds. So if you have a property under contract and he was able to reserve and lock, thank the loan officer, he or she. Thank them for having done that because I mean, it would not shock me if we come back in three weeks and we say, hey, that program we are talking about, all the money's gone. It might take two, three
0: months, but it's going to be sooner rather than later. Good stuff uh big g i've been looking at florida real estate on zillow why does it look like all the homes were bought by flippers everyone i look at says the house was sold in the last four months to two years uh that could be that could be accurate uh i don't know florida real estate well enough to be able to comment on that um but when you see homes turn over that quickly you know two years isn't that big of a, a concern for me because people can move into an area and and have to relocate in fact i have a listing at the moment that they bought in august of 2021 uh so we're we're short of two years at this point but job relocation so they got relocated now if you see a bunch of that you know again two years is a long time for a flipper four to six months is probably the right time for a flipper to own a property um being able to rehab it and that sort of thing and shorter time frames obviously fall into that same bucket so could be a concern. Uh, is it? You know, Florida is one of those areas. Depending on where you are, a little bit more affordable real estate. Um, you know, a lot of people moving there, so it could very well be the case. Hard to say without actually knowing the facts, though. Josh, we got a the question. Big thing that, um, the big, Jeb, yeah. the big
1: thing that I like to say on that: don't concern yourself with what the seller paid for the property. It doesn't matter. It could be a horrible deal. It could be an awful deal. The seller could be selling you the house for 20% less than they paid for it, and it could be an awful deal. So you, you wouldn't just go, oh, cool, you're giving me a 20% discount off what you paid, I'm in. You don't know. You're going to do your own analysis. Just because you're paying 150% more than what the seller uh, paid for it doesn't mean it's a bad deal. Don't concern yourself. Like, watch your own money. Don't watch other people's money. Good stuff, dude. Look at this guy. On fire. On fire, I'm He's like you.
0: a mix between... Zig Ziglar, Jim Rohn tonight, a little Les Brown, like very just, yeah. you know, profound, motivational. This is a new side of you, Josh. Yeah.
1: I thought it was more like the sitcom Dad on the commercials
0: where he sits back and just gives you his pearls of wisdom, Or the guy them. from Family Dad, the fam, family guy, yeah. the dad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's more like it. Uh, JB, I'm a veteran. I had an approval letter for 800,000. I didn't find a home in the LA area. When I reapply, will that be against me for not using, meaning less money?" So Josh, are there any implications of getting approved for amount and not moving forward? Totally
1: irrelevant. Um, Really, no one knows. I mean, the VA is slightly unique in that I'm gonna pull your certificate of eligibility so they know you are at least considering it, but the VA doesn't care, the lender doesn't care, sellers don't care. No one knows that you were approved and didn't move forward. So, no, uh, the only way it could impact you is you have another inquiry on your credit report. If you don't close within 120 days of having pulled that, but we've talked on the show before, it's a very minimal impact, not really anything to be worried about. But probably what you should have done is got pre-approved by Josh and had Jeb help you because our clients always get under contract and close happily with big
0: smiles. (laughs) Uh, Trick question, Josh. Do you have to do... is there any other reason to pull a certificate of eligibility outside of buying a house? Is there any other thing that the VA uses that for? No.
1: No, it's just it it yeah. It tells you the number of your entitlement, uh, the know. amount of I your entitlement. Use entitlement or
0: anything else? I'm just you know just wondering. Nothing else. No, because right. it,
1: it's tied. And again, that's confusing to everyone because they'll pull sometimes ninety nine times out of a hundred, the veteran lets us pull the distributive eligibility. They don't know how to. But you can go into e benefits, pull it up, and it's going to say you have a thirty six thousand dollars guarantee. And they go, what in the heck? Uh, what do I do with that? <laughs> and if you run the numbers and you look it up, it says they will guarantee up to one hundred forty four thousand dollars. you like, I can't get a shack. I'm not moving to North Dakota. But the, the reality is there are actually no loan limits uh, for VA loans. If you've never used your loan before, if you qualify for the loan, uh, you can get as big a loan as you will find a lender to give you. The VA will guarantee any size loan. I don't know that anyone's doing them any bigger than one and a half million. I'm sure there are, but uh, I haven't found them.
0: Good stuff. Uh, Maverick, 722222226, Miss Monroe. Holy cow. That's a long one. Yeah, it is. Uh, should I sell my condo and try to buy a house in California now? That's a tough question to answer. Um, my gut is no, uh, just because you you know, when did you buy the condo? What rate do you have on the condo? Um, what are your expectations with selling that condo and buying another house is, or buying a house? Is it, do you think are you just upgrading because you need more property? Or are you also expecting a similar monthly payment or potentially a lower monthly payment? Are you expecting a deal because you've heard that prices are down a little bit? So there's a lot to kind of unwrap in that question. Uh, I mean, can't should you sell and buy a house if, if you need more space and it's the right time in your life for that? Absolutely. Uh, but if it's because you think that there's an opportunity for you Uh, for some other reason, then I think we need to discuss it a little bit further. So be happy to, to comment more on it if you put something below on what we just talked about. Pizza McGee. I love pizza. I have two houses. Was looking into a trust. Is legal a legit place to get it all? So here's the thing. Yeah, I, was, yep. Pete, was
1: Pizza McGee listening when I asked you this question the other week of who did your trust and, and how do we do it? Where should I go? You, you weren't know, very helpful. No, you weren't I, I very helpful. Know, you said you did you said you did your own. So I did. I, so well, helpful. I did it
0: through LegalZoom. So I've had a trust. I've paid a trust attorney in the past uh three thousand thirty-five hundred dollars to do a trust, you know, with a living will and um, you know, uh, uh healthcare, uh, directive uh, directives. Is that right? Healthcare. Yeah. Anyway, all of that stuff, 3,500 bucks. And later in life, um, did another trust. And in this case, did it through legal zoom. And the reason for that is because I had an idea of how the process worked. I was familiar with it because I had done it before I was, I understood how to get the set assets into the trust so that the trust actually was protective of everything and weren't missing anything with it going to probate. So I think it's important to know, you know, I'm not going to say that all, uh, you know, trust documents are the same because they're not, um, but a lot of trust attorneys aren't making a specific hundred page document directly for you. What they're doing is taking a document, they're, you know, altering some things in that document for the most part. And they're making it, you know, to to your situation. And if you know how that works, if you know the flow of of you know how assets flow, how where you want them to go, what percentage, all of that good stuff, I think you can use LegalZoom um, and online sites to do that sort of thing. Um, now, I'm sure I I have attorney friends out there that are like Jeb, you're an idiot. I can't believe you're saying that. Um, but I did it myself, and I feel like. I'm protected in that sense. So I, I'm not against it. Uh, I also think it's important that if you're not familiar enough with it to pay somebody to do it, and you can find people that'll do trust for a thousand bucks or maybe even less in some cases that, you know, will will make sure it's done correctly. So, and in that case, you've got somebody guiding you through the process, holding your hand, making sure that it's done right. So can you do it through legal absolutely can you know should you use somebody else it depends on your situation but um you know don't take this as advice either just just my opinion so josh do you have any opinions on it you asked me and um, i told you
1: no this is this is what's funny what i will say um if any if if i am indicative of our audience out there it is amazing how many people it's easy as life goes by um, to not do these things, but it's very important. Uh, it I thought of this recently, Jeb. I own two properties as joint tenants with two people that if I die, I do not want them to be the owner of the property. I love both of them, but I do not want them to become the owner of the property. Nancy, my old flipping partner and I own a home 50-50 partners. Um, If I pass away, I do not want her to have that, vice versa. She's older than I am, she passes away, she does not want me to have that. She wants her heirs to have that 50%. So we need to set up a trust. We could do it with other uh, vesting options, tenants in common, we can do that. So at a minimum, I need to, deed it from the two of us as joint tenants to the two of us as tenants in common. We've talked on the show before, I inherited my dad's property with my sister. Um, We're both as joint tenants on it and we need to be there as tenants in common, 50%. Um, So the, the trust piece, I have not done that. And I thought of this the other day, I'm like, you're dumb you're dumb. Like it would make things unnecessarily complicated if something were to happen to me by not having done these things. So if you own real estate, like if you don't own any assets, one of the funny things to me, people will always ask, Hey, do I need life insurance? Like, well, you're 26 years old. You're not married. You don't have any children. What are we insuring? That's, what, what are you preparing for? If you don't own any assets, then you don't need a trust to hold those assets to make sure they transfer through to your heirs the way you want them to with as little taxation and hassle and headache as possible. But it's important, long way of saying Josh has not done his uh, due diligence or his actual homework and actual hard work. So don't be Josh.
0: Yeah. I mean, guys, probate's expensive. Um, if you own a piece of real estate, you plan on buying a piece of real estate. Make it a priority to get that property into some sort of trust, some sort of will, so that you know it passes along. You know, ne- we all think we're going to live forever, um, and I, you know, Josh and I recently had people that we know that are close to us that have that have passed away, and you know, puts their family in a tough position when things aren't in the right order. So, it's it's tough conversations to have now not conversations you want to have, not money you want to spend now. It's like buying a new set of tires for your car. It's like, that sucks. Like I just spent this money and I don't get to see any benefit from it, but it's, it's more about benefiting those around you and not necessarily yourself. So, um, take the time and do it. I think it's, it's definitely worth it. And, uh, some of the better advice we've probably given on the show, quite frankly. All right, with that said, let's go up to uh, ZL says, since home values barely dropped when rates hovered around 7%, isn't it logical to assume that lower rates will cause a flood of buyers that will continue to push up home values? I think that's a logical uh, thing to think. Um, Something that we've discussed on the show multiple times. Yeah, that's a problem, right? Is, Is the lower rates allow a better, you know, more affordability, which puts buyers back in the market. So yes, uh, is it going to create what it did in 2020 and 2021? I don't see that happening again because I don't see rates going that low again. Uh, but the fact that we have no inventory adds to that problem. If we had a lot of inventory and rates went down a little bit, it wouldn't really make that big of a difference, right? Because you already have the inventory on the market. The, what's what The biggest issue here is... Is the rates for one, but it's it's more the inventory, guys. If we had a ton of inventory on the market right now, you would see bigger declines in home prices because uh, of that, you know, supply versus demand. But we're not there, and I'm not sure when you're going to see it because of people being locked into their rates that we've discussed many times.
1: Jeb, we've talked about it on the show. Like, I don't see rates going to levels that, um, like, if you didn't buy at four percent last year when rates were going up are you going to be super stoked to buy at 4.75%? Most people, the answer is no. Some people, the answer is, okay, I screwed up. I get a do-over at a decent interest rate. Um, So some of them will come back to the market. But as you've said a thousand times, Jeb, there's, there's more there's more buyers, there's more sellers. We, we still are kind of stuck in this supply-demand balance until more homes get built. Um, and then you have areas like Southern California that are pretty much built out. We couldn't build more homes or enough homes to keep prices down. And I don't think that's the way you keep prices down. There's a reason why homes in Malibu are incredibly expensive. There's a reason why where do the rich people go on the East Coast, Jeb? Or they have the, the Hamptons. The Hamptons. There's, reason, there's only so much real estate there. You, do we say, hey, you know what? Hamptons real estate's way too expensive. What we need to do is throw some high rises in there with uh, affordable units. Like it's not necessarily the answer, but we do need more units, more available housing um, to to help people be able to own and, and enjoy the benefits of building wealth through home ownership without having to buy a five, six, seven $700,000 house.
0: Good stuff. Uh, Maria had another comment said, there's so many questions about that program. She was talking about the Dream for All shared appreciation loan here in California. Looking forward to the info. So again, that'll be posted next week with Josh and I. Last Friday, if you look on my channel, you'll see a video on this program. I gave as much information as I had at that time. So it's a really good resource. If you're new to the question, um, just hearing about it, want the basic information, it's a really good video. It's short, uh, gives you everything you need to know. There's a lot of things in there that are left out, um, not on purpose, just because we didn't have it. There's some things in there that have changed a little bit. So that's why that video next week will be a better guide for you, just because it's more or less all encompassing of where we are today.
1: Jeb, you you tell me what you want to do with this. It is time sensitive just because we believe they are going to run out of money. Mm -hmm. Reach out. um, Reach out to one of us. Email. We can send you a link to to the video we recorded today. I'll have it produced up tomorrow. but what is it? 15, 20 people are going to ask about it, but it is time sensitive. I don't want someone to wait to get all their information, try and get their ducks in a row, reach out to get pre-approved, and then the money's all gone to two months from now. So if you're interested, email Jeb, email me, use
0: the the inquiry link. And, and Well, Josh, there. the other option, not to be to just talking about this willy-nilly on the air, is that instead of posting the video that we're going to post on Friday, we can sub this one in. This can be our, our Friday post for for this week the video it, it, and then we it can might post be the audio at a just, later
1: time. just just because it's it's time sensitive okay. from that standpoint so friday so
0: now, the educated home buyer podcast channel that video will be posted and you'll have all the information you need how's that made it made an adjustment on the fly uh david has a question says if you own properties already outside of california but don't live in them and currently rent the place you live in in california can you qualify for this program this is something we discussed, Josh.
1: So let's let's look at it. I want I want to give you their exact verbiage. Where is this? How do they define a first-time buyer? Is a borrower who has not had an ownership interest in any principal Primary, residence right. principal. or resided in a home owned by a spouse during the past three years. So in that instance, what we're being told, and someone asked this question specifically of the Cal HFA folks yesterday, if I own a rental property, what am I eligible? And say we're going to get 3 years of tax returns and we're going to verify that that address was not your residence within the last 3 years per your tax filing and then it was on schedule E that you were reporting rental income from it. So yeah, if you have a valid rental out of state in state not showing as your primary residence on the tax return, you should be eligible eligible for the program.
0: Uh wow, here's another question around it. it says, "Ola, is the new program California dreamers. Good. If my first house or condo to buy and sell it after five years to gain some equity to buy. Oh my God. I'm lost. Yes. It's okay to buy it as your first house or condo and then sell it after five years. We're just going to leave it at that. Yes.
1: Yep. I guess but Jeff back away from that. Do we think that, I mean, we we always talk, please have a longer time horizon than five years. Anything could happen over the next five years. Do I think homes will be more expensive five years from now than today? Yes. Can I guarantee it? Can I say it's an 80% probability? No, no way. So have a longer time horizon or at least say, I want to move in five years, but I like this property enough that if I'm here for 12 years, I will not be miserable
0: good good uh zl has a question do sellers look at love letters written by buyers still seeing people recommend writing these letters when it could be viewed as discrimination if a buyer is selected based on race gender age so the to answer the question do some sellers still read them sure Um, are most agents these days are saying asking buyers not to write them you know it's one of those things that you can ask your seller like as a as an agent if i have a seller listing a property i can ask them i can say hey if a buyer writes a letter to you do you want to see it if they say yes we can do them if they say no obviously we we don't do it so you know it's one of those things that if you want to do it ask your agent to ask their agent if it's something they'll consider um otherwise i would probably just stay away from it um you know what's 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 even better is trying to catch the seller at an open house catch the seller in the yard when you're driving by be able to make that personal connection uh the personal connection does wonders uh especially you know especially when you have multiple people writing you know letters how do you stand out you get in front of them some way um you know in 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 try to convey that that you're the the right buyer for whatever reason because you love their property and um everything they've done to it you know a bunch of compliments work work wonders pulse powers this thank you for the info my game plan was to wait after the cpi but before i lock the program your answer gave me peace of mind blah blah okay not happy with the four and a half percent closing costs though so i'm not sure what that question was pertaining to josh i didn't mean to click on it but um
1: Anyway. Um, no, it was it was related back to that locking the the dream for all. Oh, yes, is. yes, yes. And then there's another follow up says, oops, it's six and a half percent closing costs because for sure we have to extend the lock. Um, one of the reasons why I'm not a big fan of Cal HFA programs is they are expensive. Most loans, we talk about a zero point loan. How do we do a zero point loan? I don't do them for free. I'm not a charity. The lender pays me on your behalf. Cal HFA does not do that. You are going to pay your mortgage lender out of pocket on that. So. The rest of the closing costs should be very similar. CalHFA has a few fees, but not anything egregious or extraordinary. But you are absolutely going to be paying more for that loan than you will for a normal loan. That being said, program is awesome. And for most people that are looking at doing it, it means can I buy a house or can I buy a house that my family and I would be happy with or can I not? So at that point, closing costs are kind of irrelevant. It's the only game in town that looks like that. There is no competition for it.
0: All right. Good stuff. Uh, let's see. We answered that. Um, you know, we have some questions related to local, you know, questions here. Is it true? Mission Viejo area is overbuilding? builders are planning on building 17,000 units. I don't know exactly what they're building, uh, but that whole Rancho Mission Viejo area, they are continuing to build there that South Orange County. Uh, I do sell property in Mission Viejo around it. I'm not sure what their building plans are, how many more units are under construction. Um, 17,000 sounds like a lot of, of units, considering we only have 20, just so what I say, 2,000 on the market here um, at the start of the show in all of Orange County. So, I you know, maybe 17,000 is the plan, but that's probably a 10-year plan versus a uh, one-year plan or what have you. So it's spread out over a period of time, uh, but they're going where there's land. And so, um, you know, are they overbuilding? At the moment, I don't think there is any overbuilding just because we have a lack of inventory. So could it get there? Yes, if we see a lot more property come on the market and stay on the market, but I don't think we're there yet.
1: I'm gonna just say, it's not possible. In Orange or LA County, anything that is, say anything that's within 20 minutes to the city center of Orange County, call that Santa Ana, LA County, downtown LA, anything within 20 minutes of that, you could not overbuild. There's not enough land available for you to overbuild. Good stuff.
0: Um, GZ asking, uh, some crystal ball questions here says, please, to the best of your knowledge, when is the best time this year to buy a house? I keep hearing third, fourth quarter of the year, I'm buying an orange. So I'm going to deflect here and say the best time is when the payment makes sense to you and you can find the right house. Simple. Um, I don't know that you're going to see a ton of inventory flood the market this year. So that might mean if you see the right house now, and you don't make an, an opportunity to get it, it might not appear again for a couple of months. And how many people are vying for that same piece of property? If you're waiting for affordability, rates to go down, prices to drop, it might increase a little bit, but I don't think it's going to be significant uh, for the majority of people out there unless you saw a big drop in rates, at which point that's going to increase buyer demand. So I don't have the, the answer you probably want to hear. I say have the longer-term time horizon, be comfortable with the payment, money in the bank, be good to go. Anya in with the question. The 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 commonly asked question by Anya says what is the lowest rate you've quoted recently, Josh, and what is the highest?
1: We have docs going out on one at the end of the week at 5.625 um, 30 year fixed. Thirty-year fixed. At one point, we had them at five and a half um, rates. Backed up a little bit before we got it locked. Um, the highest, uh, you know, we had a, a past client, a watcher of the show, Jeb, uh, quoted today for uh, non-owner occupied at about seven and a quarter. I've had other borrowers reach out with worse credit and wanting to buy an investment property, and you know even into the high sevens. I don't know that I've seen a standard Fannie Freddie FHA VA program ever hit the eights. Um, and it, what it would take would be rates going higher, a really bad credit score, not much of a down payment, and an investment property where you're just stacking all those loan level price adjustments
0: all right good stuff so we've been on the show for almost an hour here gonna ask a favor that if you find any value in the show at all we've answered your question um you like Josh's new cougar hat that he is so fond of uh ask that you hit the the like button there subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already follow me on social media if you want pictures of my kids I mean you can do that too um I don't talk real estate there so it's probably a lot more interesting other thing. If you haven't done so already, go check out the Educated Homebuyer podcast here on YouTube. Um, You guys are helping make that a success, I think, as of coming on the show at like 568 subscribers on that channel. Trying to get up to 1,000 so we can start to monetize that channel as well. And we can do that with your help. So we appreciate you doing that. Listen to us on all the platforms out there. We're actually on YouTube as a podcast as well, so you can listen to it there. Um, and lastly, if you need an agent, you need a, you know, referral anywhere else um, in the country, uh, there's a link scrolling at the bottom. Go check that out and uh, we'll get you connected. So back to the continued show here, Josh. Um, we've got not a lot of questions. People don't care tonight. They don't well, They don't want to talk. That
1: That gives us a second to talk about something important. Yep. If you're Ooh. furiously Googling, trying to find hats for Josh, make sure that it's black on black. You may notice <laughs> that they're always black black on black versions of just black. So don't get me a crazy colored hat cuz you will never
0: get to see it on the show. I think that's that's rude. Um inconsiderate and selfish of you to not take in if people are willing to give you a gift of a of a hat that you would not take the time to wear it. I mean, I've seen you wear some ridiculous shirts on this show <laughs> that no one would ever buy. And therefore if somebody's willing to put the time, effort, energy to find you a hat, you should wear it. That's all I'm saying. So, guys, if there's a hat you want Josh to wear, I want you to send it to us because we'll put it on him. I mean, that's simple. It's that simple. If he wants to if he wants to be on Jeb Smith's YouTube channel on a Wednesday, (laughs) he's got to wear the hat. That's simple. If not, we'll keep him in the background. Uh, Jay Homeboy says, when should one pay the loan balance off of their primary and secondary? So, Josh, I don't know if we have conflicting views on this, um, but probably – I think probably thinking similarly. Uh, but interest rates are super low. Um, do you do you like the idea of leverage keeping a mortgage, or do you like the idea of paying it off and and not having a balance? what What are your goals with 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 regards to a mortgage? Jeb, I screwed up and took his damn question down. That's all right. I'll um, add it
1: back up. Add it back up there. But um, in terms of when do we want to pay it off, I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer. What you should have is a plan. To have it paid off when you arrive at retirement. Um, you know, we talked about guesting last week on Michael Zuber's show, Zuber being on our show, and he wrote his book in 2018, 2019, before things went really nuts. But he had bought most of his stuff in 2008, 2009, 2010. It is all greatly appreciated. He was talking in the book about selling some property, paying others off just to maximize cash flow. Is that a valid, reasonable thing to do? Yeah, it is. So there's a million and one options, including saying, I'm going to max my 401k. I'm going to max every investment and try and keep as big a mortgage as I can reasonably throughout my working years to maintain that interest deduction. It's not what it once was. It's not all that great, depending on your interest rate. Um, but you really want to look holistically at it. Do you want to put extra principal and pay it off early? It's possible. Um But again, if you have that low interest rate, you're not getting much of a tax benefit from it, but you're also not paying much for that money. You'll probably allocate it better elsewhere, get a greater return. I like to think in terms of that freedom point, when do my assets exceed my liabilities? So I would focus more on that and then deciding once I achieve that point, do I wanna take some of my liquid assets and pay off uh, those liabilities or do I wanna just let it ride? That's really the, the question. How quickly can you accumulate enough assets I don't like the idea of of extra principal payments just because you're locking yourself into that. I've seen people. Everything's going great in life and they're making extra extra principal payments. I've had clients take out a 15 year mortgage and they say, I'm going to pay this thing off in eight years. And they go and they have this monster payment and they're making good progress on it. Something happens. Spouse passes away divorce. You just don't know what's going to happen and when you would want that money to be more liquid. So it's not wrong. No one ever went broke paying off their debts early, um, but I prefer the additional flexibility of it. But there's not a right or wrong answer as long as you have a plan of where you want to get and you know that how you're doing it is optimizing your likelihood of getting where you want to go.
0: All right. Good stuff. Uh, we got some other questions that are popping in here. We're going to kind of hop through some stuff real quick. Uh, David Comes in and says, thinking about buying a rental property in, and, and then he goes on to say that he's looking in California, uh, terrified by being stuck by rental protections and being SOL on rental income. Reasonable concerns. Um, depending on where you're looking in California, if you're looking at San Francisco, you're looking in LA, re, I mean, really reasonable concerns. Um, you know, how do you protect yourself against that? We've talked about it on the show before. There's no surefire way to protect yourself against it. Um, you know, all you can do is try to do as much homework up possible about the tenant to try to find the best tenant possible, right? To make sure they have good credit, to make sure they have a good job, to make sure they have assets in the bank. That's all you can do. You can't do any more than that. Um, But, you know, I often see investors start to get desperate on, you know, because they want a certain price for the house and they say, well, you know, credit's good enough for the you know, they've got decent enough amount in the bank or whatever the thing is, and they sacrifice a little bit. Those are the chances where you put yourself in a bad position versus the guy that's got good credit, guy or girl that's got good credit. have got money in the bank. They're likely to want to keep good credit. They're likely, you know, they've got the money to pay. Less of a concern in those situations. Um, I say, I think you should still consider investing in real estate, but just make sure you do the homework up front. All right. Yeah. Josh, yep.
1: A- avoid avoid areas that their city governments uh tend to or trend towards um thinking that property owner rights are less important than tenant rights. Well, it's California, but it varies
0: vastly no, from city to city. And that's why I said San Francisco, LA County, two of the you know, biggest headaches probably out there with regards to cities getting involved in um, you know. Well, the, the craziest things. thing, yeah.
1: Jeb, we could we could do a whole hour on this. There's in in just endless amounts of research that show that rent restrictions are bad for tenants. It, it just people yes. don't invest in those areas. So you have crappier homes. So it's just it's not a good thing all the way around. I say that like I own a fourplex in the city of Long Beach. Long Beach does not have rent control. They've tried to do rent control. They haven't passed it yet. Uh, I would love to possibly rotate up into another property and get out of Long Beach for that reason solely. And that being said, you're like, oh, you just want to charge absolute top of the market rent and keep that property as lame as possible. And that's far from the case. We have a tenant. So we bought the building. None of it was rehabbed. Exterior was fairly nice. Interior, old, bad, not good. As every tenant moved out, we went in, we rehabbed them and we've increased the market rents. I was looking at our rent roll the other day because it's owned in my IRS, so I do not manage it myself. Got the package from our property management company. And I was like, wow, I didn't realize the two cheap ones were that low. We have two that are within 50 to $100 a month of where market rents are, which is less than $2,000. It's an entry level property but two of them are probably $250 below market. And one of those makes perfect sense to me. That unit hasn't been rehabbed. She hasn't asked for it. She wants the lowest rent. She doesn't want a nicer property with a higher rent. That's what she wants. So again, from my perspective, I'm not a slumlord. I'm not someone trying to absolutely maximize my yield. That lady's been there and since we've owned the property, I'm going to work with her in whatever way she wants to be a tenant that doesn't, you know, completely throw things off um, from, from our perspective. But if you're going to buy, the good news is you're probably not looking in the Bay Area. You're probably not looking in Los Angeles or Orange County just because cash flow is so hard for a first time investor.
0: All right. House hacker 619 says, I got a letter from Coldwell Banker that they are interested in buying my first property, which is a rental. Where and are they getting, where are they getting my information? So it's all on title. Um, title, especially it sounds six one nine. That's the San Diego zip code. Uh, you know. Public record for the most part. It's it's all out there. It can be accessed. Um, and you know when agents are looking for properties, they're sending blanket letters out like this uh, to people that have owned property for a period of time that they know probably have equity in 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 these properties and, and might be willing to sell, especially when it's uh you know investor owned. So they send out letters. Nothing nothing surprising um, in that statement whatsoever. Stephanie says this broadcast has been very informative. So Stephanie hit that like button as a potential first time home buyer. I feel overwhelmed with all the info out there. My income is good, but my credit is not impressive. She goes on to say, I would qualify for an FHA loan, but I don't want mortgage insurance. Should I wait to purchase a home or, or, but I don't want to wait to purchase a home. So any suggestions, Josh, for somebody that, doesn't want mortgage insurance um and but wants to buy a home if you're here in California you might consider the dream for all program um any other state josh what are your thoughts on not dealing with mortgage insurance mortgage insurance is
1: the cost of doing business those are that's a quote of jeb smith i learned that from him he says the cost of doing business and if you want to get into a home prior to being able to save up 20% which the uh Nationwide median, Jeb, what's 435 now? Am I, am I too high on that? 433, I think what's was. Yeah. 433. So to get around it, 20% down. How long does it take you to save $85,000? With an FHA loan, it's 0.55% a month mortgage insurance. So is say say you're buying 75% of the median, somewhere around $300,000. Is it worth paying fifteen sixteen hundred dollars dollars a year, $120, $130 a month? versus waiting five, six, seven years to save $80,000. The question's fairly obvious. Um, the, the, piece, uh, the other piece of it, you don't want mortgage insurance. I think you said that your credit was less than impressive. Um, the good news is with FHA, yeah. They do not differentiate. Everyone pays the same amount of mortgage insurance. You either qualify for the program or you don't. With a lower credit score, you may pay a higher rate of interest. Um, I would look at maximizing your credit score. There are legitimate credit repair companies out there. Jeb and I did a whole episode on this. They don't do anything that you cannot do for yourself, but talking with them, most of them will do a free consultation and at least tell you, hey, here's the seven to 10 steps that are going to maximize your score. I've had viewers of the show here that we've talked to with a high 500 credit score and within six months be mid to high 600s. If you can get above 640, you're going to get a good rate FHA. If you get above 680, you're going to get the best rate. So you're you're focusing or worrying about something that's that's almost irrelevant to this. Let's take all your effort and energy. If you thought you could save more money to avoid mortgage insurance, let's spend that money to get your credit where we want it to be, to get you the absolute best terms. It is 100% possible. Everyone out there, a lot of the people that watch the show, a lot of people that reach out, they don't have perfect credit. They don't have optimal credit look at those two tiers. Let's make sure we get to a 640 so we can get you good terms, get to a 680 to get you really good terms because most people that is a realistic goal within 6 months if they have a little bit of money to throw at the problem. And if you're thinking about buying a home, you probably uh do have some some money. And she followed up Jeb here that she's in, in Virginia. VA. Yeah. VA. So, so That it's funny when she said VHA, I wasn't sure whether she was just confused on on FHA. It's Virginia Housing Authority. Uh, A lot of states have IHA, Idaho Housing Authority. So they're usually similar to FHA, slightly better. Um, But anyway, you look at it wouldn't necessarily think that's a bad option. You know, we had someone here Kyle pipes up, HomeReady is a lo- good loan. Yep, but it has income restrictions. If you qualify for it, it can be a wonderful option. FHA has no income restrictions. So, depending on where you're at, could be an option, may not be an option. Um But with that, make sure you're working with a mortgage advisor that can offer all of those options. A lot of these state housing authority lenders, like that's their thing. They just, there doesn't matter what's right for you. They're like, nope, I do these and they're awesome. They're awesome for everybody. Make sure, even if they were telling you that that VHA loan is the best route to go, that they can show you what does a standard FHA look like? What does a home ready look like? And confirm that it's the best for you. And, And they're not mutually exclusive. Some of the state housing authorities
0: leverage and piggyback off of home ready and home possible. Good stuff. Uh, Matty just showed up. He's late. Uh, I mean, he says he wants to be like me. I was on time, Matt. Um, You're an hour and 10 minutes late. You're never going to get there showing up an hour and 10 minutes late. Just want to point that out. Uh, Kidding. Of course. Thanks for being here. Uh, Michael says, hey, guys, not sure if you've covered this yet. Thoughts on the Dream Loan Assistance Program. Just announced for Cali. So we've been talking about it probably the entire episode, you know, every five minutes or so. Friday, check the Educated Homebuyer Podcast YouTube channel. We're going in detail on it uh, with information just coming out this week. If you want some basic information until then, go to my channel. There's a video on it. Search for it. Uh, You'll find it. It's basic information today uh, or yesterday. We recorded another episode, which is going to post this Friday on the Educated Homebuyer Podcast. So check that out. All right. Um, Josh, there's a question that we didn't address in that. Uh, If you have DACA, do you qualify for the DREAM program? So they
1: underwrite to Fannie Mae guidelines. Fannie Mae will allow DACA documentation. So I don't want to tell you yes. I would be inclined to think yes based off of that. Shoot me an email and I can reach out. And with, you know, early morning tomorrow, we can have an accurate 100% answer for you on that. But I would think yes.
0: All right, good stuff. Uh, Let's see. Are we done? It looks like we're done. Um give him on give him on give him on give him on give, him on. give, give a man right a fish
1: he can eat for a day teach a man to fish he can eat for a lifetime Jeff, are you are you just more like wisdom. where did that come from like that give just a ran. man I'm like, you're,
0: you're talking to give a man give a man a fish uh give a man i got you there we go there's there's another analogy guys all right uh renting right now in chicago should i buy a condo soon knowing i might want to get a house in the next five years or should i wait until then and buy the house. Tough question. Um, you know, Josh and I have talked many times about if you're buying a property at the moment, you need to be prepared to 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 be in that property for, you know, a longer period of time. Um, longer than a couple of years. 5, 7, 10 years is probably the right number just because we both believe and I'm I'm speaking on behalf of Josh that there's going to be a period of couple of years, five years, four, three, I don't know the number uh, of, of, you know, very little appreciation with regards to home prices, just because of so much appreciation that we saw during that two-year period. When we saw home prices run up, I think uh, Case Schiller posted the numbers earlier. It was like 40% over a two-year period, something like that. So, you gotta in order to get back to that trend, you need some sideways movement in house prices, maybe even a little downward movement in some areas to get closer to that trend. Which means if you buy a property now, you know, in five years, you're probably gonna owe less on it. Um, well, you're definitely gonna owe less on your mortgage at that point, but is it worth any less than? Than market value at that point. It's hard to say because we don't know what values are going to do. So the idea of buying a condo now, I would buy a condo that I that I thought would be able to fit my needs in five years. I wouldn't be buying a condo thinking that it's going to go up in appreciation and then I'm going to be able to take that appreciation and help parlay that into a larger home. Could it happen? Absolutely. You know, What's the likelihood of it happening? Hard to say. So I would say find the right property for you. If it makes sense, the payment makes sense. You feel comfortable with it, great, go for it. But I don't think there's a rush today to go out and buy a property unless you can find the right property and again, in the payment makes sense to you.
1: Jeb, at at risk of upsetting everyone uh, who's ask or is not who's outside
0: of California, not interested in the Dream for
1: All program, yeah. important question that I want to address here. Um, in the comments, someone uh, stick stick them up says, uh, they also said the dream for loan uh, all second lien may be subordinated to refinanced. Um, anyone telling you that without telling you the complete and entire answer is not being honest with you. It says in there clearly one time, the, the exact verbiage is one time and one time only. So once, hopefully you time it perfectly and get the absolute bottom of the lowest rates because you can refinance that thing one time. So um, absolutely, you do have the ability to refinance it, but you're only going to get one bite at that apple. So make sure you get it good.
0: Good stuff. Uh, to answer Daniel's question, uh, are you doing the dream loan? Yes. If you want to get in touch with Josh, that link at, uh, scroll in the bottom will uh, will get you in touch with him so you can have that conversation. Uh, Lou has a question, says, uh, what are your thoughts as a 21-year-old looking for a fourplex? I have about 35000 for a down payment. Um. Depends on where you are. Um, depends on the cash flow. Depends on where you are in your life. Whether that makes sense to you. Uh, again, I don't know that there's a rush to go out and do it at 21 years old. There's plenty of time left. But if you can find a deal that makes sense that brings in cash flow and you can actually qualify for it, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Uh, but again, I don't know that there is. Um, you don't have time against you uh, being at 21 years old. You still have some time to be able to 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 find the right one. Josh, what are your thoughts on that? We've talked about this a couple of times.
1: 23 year old Josh had a fantastic plan to buy four fourplexes before buying uh, his primary residence. And then he got engaged and then we found a bitchin' condo and we bought that and it made it much harder to buy those fourplexes. So I love the idea. Um, if you're thinking of using FHA financing, because the other, only real other alternative is 20, 25% down conventional. Um it, just know that if you're in a higher cost area, there's an FHA self-sufficiency test that can make it really difficult to qualify. But I love the idea. Um, as Jeb said, do your due diligence, make sure you know what you want, um, get in three and a half percent down to be able to buy a four unit building. If you're in a market where the rents will support that purchase, it sets you up for life. You know, I mean, really, if you did that today at 51, the thing could be paid off. If you're in a market that have has high rents relative to what the payments look like, you could probably accelerate that and have something where you hit, you know, 40 years of age and you have something that brings in you know, a couple thousand dollars a month net. You're well on your way cash flow wise. So I love the idea, but it doesn't mean that it's always the right idea. Make sure you run the numbers and you have someone advising you, showing you what those options are and that the cash flow works and always count on less cash flow than you think. Don't make a perfect spreadsheet and go, I'm going to have this much. It never works out perfect in the real world.
0: Yeah. And also taking the factor, you know, expenses of things that are going to need to be fixed over time, right? You're going to have to replace the roof at some time. You're going to have to paint it at some point. You got to factor all of that stuff into the rent and not just be stuffing the money into your bank account and, you know, not having the reserves to be able to do that stuff. That's where a lot of people make mistakes on investment property. So don't be that guy or girl. Uh, Andre. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to say something, Josh? I, I, I was
1: going to say, I am simultaneously laughing and appalled. Maverick says, Nightbot, get a life. What are you, the font police? I have a visual impairment. Very valid reason for using all caps. And then Nightbot immediately comes back. <laughs> nice try. So Maverick, Miss Monroe, we apologize for Nightbot. Uh, it's, it's a, it it's is automated. Truly a, it's truly a bot. It is automated yep. and it does not like people using, uh, all caps. So I do apologize, but I did appreciate that you told them to back off and they said, no way, bro. I'm not backing off.
0: Yeah. Now we, we pay, we pay a lot of money for Nightbot <laughs> to, to come in and put, the put their foot down and they're doing it. So they get, uh, they get rewarded for that. Uh, Andre's got two different questions on uh, the first is, is there any loans to help first time home buyers? I can buy my grandparents house, but it needs a lot of work. And then Goes on the first question that actually came from this was, should I buy my grandparents' house for a hundred thousand dollars? It needs a lot of work done. Fifty thousand is left on their balance, and it's worth around one seventy or one thirty as is. Is it worth fixing up? Um, so when you say it's worth one seventy or one thirty as is, I mean. Is it worth 170 fixed up or one? I don't know. Either way, it sounds like there's an opportunity there to do a little bit of work on it and maybe make some some money on the deal. So what you have to look at is how much is it going to cost you to acquire that property? How much money are you going to put into it? How much can you sell it for to to figure out whether or not it makes sense? Now, if you're not selling it and you're just keeping it, even better, right? Because you go in with some built-in equity in that property. But you got to you got to be able to figure out what it's going to cost you to do that how much is the loan going to cost you if you're selling it how much you know the cost on that side but it sounds like you might be keeping it but more importantly Josh are there any loans out there that allow somebody with very little money down to be able to buy a home and rehab it uh so that the the cost of that expense is built into the loan
1: It's all yeah, it all comes down to numbers like there's there's options for the the loan and the financing. There's rehab loans, conventional rehab loans, FHA rehab loans. That initial question was, are there first time homebuyer programs to help, you know, Virginia Housing Authority, Idaho Housing Authority. We don't know where it is. I'm assuming it's not California based off of those purchase prices. Mm -hmm. So absolutely a thousand percent. There are options for helping. Um, There's even cities that have rehab programs. Very rarely do they have funding or is that funding available, but definitely do all of your research and look at that. Is it worth fixing up? Again, the numbers never lie get bids to, to figure out what it's realistically going to cost to do all of the work and then say, what is my after repaired value? You may need to invest a little bit of money. If I tell a contractor, Hey, I need a bid on this. And he knows I bought 10 investment properties in the last 10 years. He's probably going to come out and give a bid. If I don't own this house, I've never bought a house before. And I'm asking for uh, a bid they may, they may want to be compensated for their time, depending on how busy and, and hot your market is. Um, you may want to engage an appraiser to say, Hey, can you do a desktop valuation and tell me, Hey, in distressed condition, what is the current as is value? If I do X, Y, and Z to the house, what is the after repaired value? Um, Jeb, you've seen it before. We've seen people buy a fixer-upper and think they're getting a deal and by the time they're done they're 100 200 thousand dollars overboard i have a client right now who is a builder He he's not a builder himself he is a highly paid foreman for a builder and went two hundred thousand dollars over on his rehab on his property house is bitching but now we're having to scramble to get money to to cover all that spending so um it's probably makes sense if your grandparents are willing to give you a nice deal on that property um but do all your research and your due diligence up front. But there definitely are rehab loans where you could take out their financing, pay that off for them, and get funds to do the improvements.
0: Good, good. Uh, Martinelli, Arsenal guy, says, thank you for doing this. New listener, thanks for answering the question last week. Can you please explain what is an internal private client loan as the loan we are getting is a private client loan? Josh. In
1: general, it just means you have a large amount of assets with the bank. If I have a checking account at Chase Bank with $10,000 and I go in there and I say, hey, I'd like an FHA mortgage, they go, cool, here's the terms. If I have a checking account with $2 million in it, which I'm not FDIC insured, we covered last week, don't do that. But if I have that, they're going to go, well, sir, come over here. Our private client desk would like to talk to you. They want to keep you happy. They will give you a cheaper loan, lower cost loan all of the above there to to make you happy and nearly all banks big and small do this they want to keep you happy and keep your deposits there so they will loan to you at a lower rate because they're using your large deposits to make more money but more importantly jeb what is it over there that you keep slamming your mouse on the desk dude
0: this thing is like it's it like it won't it keeps going in and out and it's fully charged so i'm a it's lucky it's not thrown just Uh, i want
1: i want to see the the fist go down it might it it might Chunks it of might plastic get broken
0: line. here this evening. Um, but at the moment we're still we're still operating. I just have to shake it and do all of that. So there it goes again. Um we're, we're Jim, struggling here, guys, with the mouse. Um uh,
1: since, since you can't work with your mouse now, there's an important news alert. Corey was kind enough to oh pipe God. in here and tell us that many foreclosures are coming soon. Homeowners and landlords are in arrears. All of the data that shows homeowner distress is at record lows is untrue. Corey has discovered that they're all in distress with their two and a half percent interest rates and 50 percent loan to value or homes paid off free and clear. And all of those foreclosures are going to flood the market. So we'll change the content over the coming weeks so we can explain to you exactly how to take advantage of the flood of foreclosures coming to the market.
0: For those of you who may not know, Josh is being sarcastic. There are no foreclosures coming at the moment because people have record equity and many sellers are locked into super low interest rates. Got it? All right, let's move on. All right, uh, no, seriously, like, why are we even clicking on that? I mean, if my mouse were working, we didn't, we wouldn't have to do that. Uh, someone well, that's looking what, that's at why the we Dream for Loan program, Josh. Uh, pro a House won't be complete until May or June. Can they still use that program, the Dream for All, to buy new construction? My understanding is yes, and and it goes back to the question we answered earlier. Someone was upset
1: that their lender locked in their loan and made a reservation. If you put your application in and get the reservation and you have it locked for a period of time, so I need to check exactly how their locks, their lock terms go. The person who questions earlier said, "Hey, I know my home's not going to be ready or escrow's not going to close, so we're gonna have to extend that lock." Um, Long story is, yes, we know that money is going to go away. But if you have a property under contract, you qualify for the program. Most likely the builder's lender is not going to offer it. So reach out um, and, and we can run through those numbers and see or reach out to another lender who is approved to do those. The builder's lenders have a really narrow niche. They have two, three, four, five loan programs that work for the people that are buying the type of inventory that the builder is is dealing with. But yeah, you can do it. You just need to get your reservation in and make sure that that lock works uh, for the timeline that you're looking at.
0: So Lou asked a question earlier um, about buying at 21 years old, had $35,000 to invest in, and talked about buying a fourplex. Kind of gave him the advice on that, then comes back to say, I live in Orange County. Which is where we are i feel like i'm priced out here I was thinking about houston or dallas fort worth just because i have a business which would be better to not pay personal income tax so something important to note here as a 21 year old with $35,000, dollars you you're not buying anything in orange county i mean it, i'm not being negative that's that's the reality also something to keep in mind if you're considering moving to a state that doesn't have state income tax like texas for example understand that their property taxes are considerably higher than other states that's where they make up some of that that no income you know state tax that that you aren't paying they make it up in other areas property tax being one of those so understand you might not be paying it here but you're likely going to pay it somewhere else now again just something to note when when thinking about these things is that you know the grass isn't always greener uh, but I can tell you it is more affordable um, than, than Southern California. But by how much, it's hard to say. All right. Jeb, uh, Jeb a,
1: a thing this... to note, I, I ran these numbers. We went and visited a buddy in Fort Worth a couple of years yep. ago. He has a bitching property that cost about a third of what my I house remember. did. So we ran through the numbers and we were comparing it. He's same age as me. We're both going to be 50 this year. And looking at it, you go, during your working years, paying higher property taxes and lower income tax is awesome. When you retire and your taxable income decreases and you're paying those high property taxes, not so great. So, again, if you're 21 and you can live in Texas and you can avoid those property taxes or the income taxes, probably a good decision. But just realize that I don't think 30 years from now that California home prices are going to flip flop versus Texas. They're always going to be higher. It may be very hard to get back into the California market, but you may have accumulated so much wealth through that time frame that you don't care.
0: Good stuff. Uh, Rashid has a question here. Says, uh, in the appraisal process, the VA just declared Tidewater. Should I allow the listing agent to provide comps or negotiate the cost? So Josh, explain what Tidewater is and then we can answer the question.
1: So um, people have a lot of negative uh, assumptions or negative beliefs, false beliefs about the VA loan program. The VA appraisal process is the best there is out there. An appraiser cannot just bring in an appraisal low. They have to send it a Tidewater notification that says, hey, agents, buyers, seller, I'm not seeing the value that you guys have agreed to. Can you please provide any additional information that may help me see the value that you guys have agreed to? So in this situation, I don't know that you could say, I'm not allowing you to send in that information under Tidewater. They're all parties to the transaction. Jeb, from your perspective, as a realtor, it's all a negotiation. Um, A a, a buyer could say, no, I I don't want to rebut it. I don't want to provide Tidewater. I want whatever the value comes in, and then we're going to negotiate at that value but it comes down to where are we at in the market? Where were were there five other offers on the property? Were you the only offer in six months? Um, You have to just figure out what the strength of your negotiating position is. I don't know that you can tell them they are not allowed to tell the appraiser, hey, here's the additional pieces of information that I'm seeing. Um, Just them providing it is not a guarantee that the appraiser is gonna go, oh, hey, thanks, Mr. Realtor. I I see that you're smarter than I am and I didn't see those things, Um, but, it's there. And on top of that, even if the value comes in low after doing water, after providing additional information, that's not the end of the line. The veteran can still go back to the VA and say, I would like a reconsideration of value based off of these facts that my agent, the other agent that we've all pointed out that this is a valid number. Understanding that from your question, it's pretty clear that you would like a lower number. It all comes back to the leverage of the market. How are you going to handle that, Jeb, if, if you're representing the seller?
0: You know, I, I'm sorry. I was, I was uh, trying to swallow there. I, I would try, I mean, I'm providing the comps. I'm trying to get the value in to show, Hey, listen, it's there and, and get the most for the seller. I mean, that's my, my job as the listing agent. Um, now in the situation, it doesn't come in. Then you talk to the seller about renegotiating or whatever your options are, but no, I'm first and foremost, you're, you're trying to get the value up. And I don't, again, I don't think you can stop anybody from doing that because it's, the appraiser is going to reach out um, to the listing agent to get that information. So uh, it's it's going to be known and, um, you know, it is what it is. You can always try to renegotiate even if it does come in, but uh, a little bit more difficult to do. All right. Um, uh Martinelli $5 super sticker so thank you for that uh I appreciate it that's awesome um thank you for doing that uh there was a question just, I had, just so Josh. you know
1: the reason why I was asking for all black hats earlier is when you give the super stickers Jeb takes that home and buys beer for himself
0: and doesn't share it dude I haven't drank in eight, well not true I had a drink on Sunday outside of that I went 80 days 80 days no alcohol Not because I have a problem, just because, hey, wanted to see what I could do, man. 80 days. Um, Separate here. So while we're just kind of, we got 200 people on here. Uh, Ask a favor. If you you like the show, if you enjoy what we do, hit the thumbs up. Um, If you think we suck, you can hit the thumbs down, whatever. Uh, We appreciate you being here. But I want to tell you a little story. We're talking about negotiation a moment ago. So I have a property just hit the market today in Huntington Beach. Uh, And um, I've had handful of calls on it, have some appointments set for tomorrow. Uh, but we had one appointment for today. I show up to show the property. I'm there. And the agent, his client's walking around. His client likes the property. And he basically says, my client's a cash buyer. I'm like, great. That's fantastic. And um, we continue through showing all that good stuff. And then at the towards the end of uh, the showing, he says, I think my client wants to make an offer. And I was like, fantastic. And he's like, what do you think about 1.2? And I'm like, I'm like giving him probably a crazy look. Like, did you like say the wrong number? Because the house is listed at a more a million four seventy five. So he's only two hundred seventy five thousand dollars off. Uh, property's been listed for like three hours and um, first day on the market. And I'm like, no, I don't think that's going to work. And he seemed like taken aback by it. And I'm like, dude, they bought the property in 2021 for a million three something. And values have gone up since then. What do we even, like, are we really having this conversation? Uh, but just shows you that you need to be working with a professional out there. Like, I mean, I could go into detail about the story, you know, and give my thoughts. But, you know, you never know who's listening. So I'm not going to do that here. Uh, but just make sure you have somebody that understands the market on your side and, and um, you know, is a is a strong neg- a negotiator, and not some ridiculous um, you know question asker when it comes to, uh, to to making offers. So we'll leave it at Jeb, that. Yeah. Jeb, was I
1: was I asleep at the wheel, or did we miss uh, another super chat here? Or did I he... saw that,
0: and I wasn't sure. Was that actually a super chat, or is that just he typed in a dollar? Uh, he, hey, if he tricked
1: us into into putting super chat up there, I typically I it's another color. Much respect to Pizza McGee. I want to and he also followed with another excellent comment here. Whataburger is way overrated. In and out is much better. And that is facts. Oh, so absolutely. those of you from Texas Fantastic. who like that like, stuff, yeah.
0: that's that's on you. Yeah. No, there's I don't think there's a negotiation. I mean, even a, a compromise there with uh with, with the two. If you have in and out, you, you never compromise and go with whataburger. Like no. if you don't have an in and out, then maybe you settle for that. But no chance do you want otherwise to know, do
1: you want to know the most disappointing thing that ever happened is fat burger like expanded when fat burger when there was like 20 in the world fat burger was the most amazing and now there's like hundreds of them
0: and it's just not that great anymore no i, I hey i'm reading questions here listening to you at the same time agree with your comment you you wanted me to uh,
1: expand expand upon no i also agree with fat the burger comment better? that they're
0: writing here um which is you know the the housing market is depressing. As a millennial, I find myself wishing for a deal to fall apart or the market to be ruined. It's selfish, but I'm tired of hunting for a home. Hunting for home. Uh, listen, I, I get it. Like, I mean, it would be tough. It's tough to be a first time homebuyer right now. Looking at the market, I, like Josh and I have this conversation all the time. We're fortunate enough to have bought real estate at good times, um, you know, and bad times. I mean, I bought real estate at bad times as well, um, but more importantly, you know, at more affordable rates where, you know, looking at the market now going, you know, if rates were here today and prices were here today, a lot of my clients wouldn't be homeowners. I mean, it's simply fact. So, um, I, I feel you, I feel you on that tiny shiny crumb. As I a like first time, I like good it. Good name. I like it. Tiny, shiny crumb. As a first time home buyer in SoCal, trying to buy a house on my own, would it be best to wait a year for interest rates to drop and save closer to twenty percent for a down payment? Trying for FHA or USDA loan in Kern County. So something interesting here, Josh. Both USDA and FHA. One doesn't require down payment at all. The other only requires three and a half percent down. So if you were saving up for twenty percent down, would Either of those loans even be something you would consider, first off. And what do you think about the idea of waiting? Yeah, you wouldn't do
1: either of them. Uh, USDA is going to have a slightly lower rate than conventional. So we don't do a a lot of them. We don't do many of them. Like every few years, we'll do one just because in California, there are not a lot of areas left. You know, uh, Kern County would be one of the areas where there there would still be some homes available that are eligible. So if you're eligible, it's a great program. Would I wait to save 20%? I would sort of ask the question, what what could you lose by waiting? I don't know. There's a whole heck of a lot that you could lose if it makes you more comfortable. If you gather more information, get you a comfort level with the market. Um, We said earlier, like USDA, especially USDA mortgage insurance is incredibly cheap. 1% upfront, 0.35% a month. I wouldn't let mortgage insurance dissuade me from buying if I could afford the monthly payment. FHA is 175 upfront and 0.55 monthly. So a little bit bigger tax there, so to speak, in terms of the mortgage insurance. Depends on the price point, depends on your confidence level and being able to get 20% together. And it depends on, or would you be comfortable with the payment today? If you said, I'm gonna wait, do I think home prices are gonna be massively higher next year? No, I don't see any formula for that. Do I think rates are going to be significantly lower this time next year? It's possible, but, I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, what's significant if if the rate is somewhere in the six percent range right now is five percent significantly lower. If you're able to save 20 percent in a one year time frame, it's telling me you're probably looking at two, three, three fifty price range. So what, how big of a difference does a, a percent make on that? It makes a difference. It's a significant difference. but. Um, just ask yourself if you're comfortable waiting out that period. And if you are, you're gonna have more information. You're gonna get a better look at the market. You'll have some more savings. You'll be in a better financial position, um, but you'll have missed out on um, possibly some appreciation, possibly some depreciation. Um, you'll definitely have some principal reduction in terms of making the mortgage payment for the next 12 months. Um, there's not an answer here where you say you have to do this. You have to wait. No, no one can tell you that. You have to do it now no one can tell you that either uh
0: good 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 uh question here josh i think it's a good question Uh, i'm gonna rephrase it just a little bit uh daniel says do i get pre-approval for dream loan through you then take it to lenar better question is does the builder need to know that you're doing dream for all or yeah dream for all program josh um and if so how do you provide that information
1: Well, since neither you or I are builders or know the exact legalities of their contract, let's say if it wasn't Lennar that it was Joe Smith that he's buying the house from, and it's not going to close for till July, whatever that time frame was can he just say, Hey, I'm not doing whatever financing I was doing. I'm doing dream for all, which is technically hundred percent financing. You're not putting any money down. It's different than your contract. Um, I am thinking under contract law, he does have to go back to Lennar and say, Hey, are you guys cool with me doing this? I don't know why they wouldn't be. They want to close that deal and have it done at the end of escrow, but most likely, um, with a normal contract, you're either signing, Hey, I'm getting the loan from, from your, uh, lender or I have I'm signing an outside lender addendum and they know who's doing your loan the whole way through. But what are your thoughts, Jeb?
0: Uh yeah, I think you got to be upfront about it. I mean, it's better to 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 have that conversation now just in case something changes down the line, you're not, you know, scrambling at the end, you know, trying to make the deal work and then disclosing something that is different from what you've told them and that's the reason for the delays and it causes other issues. Um I believe that, you know, upfront communication is obviously always the um it's not always the easiest conversation to have but it is once the conversation's over it is a relief um that the conversation has been uh has taken place so I think you know be upfront with communication whether it's tough for or what have you and just be honest about it and let the chips fall where they may um at the end of the day you have you know a, a loan that you're locked into now as long as your lender can convey that you know the timeline's not going to change and that you know, everything should uh, remain the same, then there, there shouldn't be any issues with it. Um, uh, Jeb, I, I, let's see. I, let's, I, wanna,
1: I wanna, there's not really a question here, but I wanna throw it out here. Um, Tanya says, hi, here in South Florida, looking for over two years, excellent credit, money saved, good income, but I refuse to pay over $3,000 for a mortgage. Is there any luck for me? This reminds me, Jeb, of a client, a buyer of yours. We've had him pre-approved. You've written about 785 offers and he is known on every one of those 785 offers, exactly what that home should sell for. Um, They all sold for more than that. And what has that done? Like long way of saying, again, Jeb said, in case you can't tell, I'm being facetious here, but. What has that $3,000 line in the sand done for you? What does $3,000 get you today versus what $3,000 got for you two years ago? You drew a line in the sand and it's sort of like if someone calls your bluff, what are you going to do? The market called your bluff and said, cool, $3,000 hold my beer. What does $4,000 look like? Um, So Jeb, from that perspective, how do you advise a buyer who just sets an arbitrary number and says, I don't care what the market's doing. I want something magical that doesn't exist in the market.
0: It's tough. It's a tough conversation to have. I mean, you don't want, I mean, you know, one thing we talk about on the show is having a budget, not going out of that budget, being comfortable with the number. If 3000 is your number and that's the reason you're not doing it, then maybe it's just not the cards. Um, if three, if you're able to do 3000 or 3500 or four, whatever, and you're just drawing that line in the sand because you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, not acceptable to you that payments have gone up or whatever, and that that you've missed the boat. And now it's like, you know, kind of a personal attack thing, then that's a whole different conversation. Uh, You know, you can only do what you can do. So with that being said, you know, if that's you and and you're okay with that, then, then by all means, but it sounds like you're not. And, And here's the thing during that two year period of time, like Josh said, prices have gone up, payments have gone up, but what's also gone up is rent. Right? So rents have come down, but rents are still up to three percent year over year. and they're likely going to continue to go up. So if your 3,000 line in the sand comes to rent, what happens when your rent goes to 3200 3300? 3, you're just gonna say, screw it, I'm not I'm not renting either. I'm just gonna do something else. No, you're going to 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 pay that rent and you're going to have a place to stay. This, you know, there's advantages to owning real estate. One is is keeping that fixed payment. Two is, is getting the appreciation three is you're paying down that loan balance over time. So yeah, it sucks that your payments a little bit more, but you're also getting something for a portion of that money. So we talk about it all the time, you're paying a mortgage, you know, whether it's yours or your landlord, you're paying a mortgage. Now, again, it's not me trying to get you to buy a house. I, that's your decision, whether it's right for you, but drawing a line in the sand saying, I'm not doing this because you know affordability is out of whack and I just don't agree with where prices are. Yeah, it sucks. It it does suck that prices are high. And that's something that Josh and I both struggle with is talking to people that want to own homes because we know how important home ownership is to long-term generational wealth. And we believe that everyone should own a home. Um, Might not be right now, but we believe that you should own a home at some point in the future. And so it's tough when you say, listen, it just might not be in the cards if, you know, you're expecting prices to drop to get you back there so i don't have an answer for you um and that's a long way of saying that you know i don't see if you couldn't afford a three thousand dollar payment two years ago if you couldn't find it then chances are you you're you're not going to get it i mean that's it's sad to say but that that's how i that's what i truly believe
1: The thing is, Jeff, you just said, I don't have the answer. There's not a right answer. And I don't want to sound like, hey, you're dumb. You didn't pay $3,000 two years ago. Um, That's that's not the answer. What I I was saying is, please don't draw arbitrary lines in the sand. Our client here in Southern California missed out on several properties, over $10,000 that he could have locked in at three and a half percent interest rate. If you asked him, honestly, hey, would you have rather overpaid by $25,000 two years ago when we could have got you a three and a half rate or be out fighting today to get homes uh, under contract when it's in his price range? What, Jeb, there were 12 offers on the last one that he offered on. So- uh, you, 17. You know, 17. So something just, like that, yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. And that- And listen, I I want to be super clear. We're not saying market only goes up. There's always going to be offers. You have to know your situation. And a line in the sand is appropriate for you to know, hey, I just can't go above this number. But we saw a lot of people... Um, you know, in the last 18 to 24 months, draw that line in the sand and realize that six months later, that wasn't really my line in the sand. I would be happy to go back to that point in time. So just make sure that you're analyzing the right way um, and not just putting an arbitrary line. You all need to decide where your line is and even to decide... Maybe homeownership just isn't in the cards for me right now for, for many different possible reasons. Um, we do believe that over the long haul, homeownership is the right answer for everyone. It may not be possible for everyone. And these prices are are uh, a little bit cuckoo. Um, wow. So I, while
0: I appreciate everybody on the show, the support, <laughs> the love. You appreciate that viewer more than the rest. My, this, this comment is, is the most meaningful this evening. It's my son uh one of my one of my one of my sons um uh, saying he loves me and asked me how my day is so my day is great bud uh but we won't talk about it here on the show uh but thank you hey, i right. to say so, dad
1: how is your mouse working
0: My mouse isn't doing very well. Uh, But let's talk about, there was a good comment here. Um, Vato, Bearded Vato, uh, had a question and I didn't, did I not? I missed it somewhere. Where is it, Josh? It's right here. And it was
1: kind of along the lines of that last question. That last person drew a line in the sand at 3,000. So new sub here, our new homes went from 290 to 460 in a couple of years. What number do you think they need to adjust to to be worth buying? Like Jeb, he just asked you another impossible question. You asked the last one. I don't know. I don't have the answer. We're saying what is the intrinsic value of a thing? Um, when it relates back to supply and demand, if you're still here, let us know where you're at. Um, you know, every market is local markets are very different. I was on a call last night, two of the people were in Texas and they're like, hair market's not dead, but it's not, it's not multiple offers. And then we're seeing most of our contracts coming in with seller credits for closing costs, that type of stuff. So every market is local. You need to know your market. So before Jeb answers that, if you can throw in where you're at, we'd love to help.
0: No, for sure. And again, I mean, I, I, even if you told me where you're at, it's not going to help me. Um, You know, in, in answering the question, it's what number do you think it would need to adjust to to be worth buying? It's what is it worth to you? Like, what, what is your – like, what are you comfortable paying? What are homes selling for in that market? Um, there's not a right or wrong answer. It's just, you know, a lot of people are expecting – prices to drop for one reason or another, right? Maybe because they're watching another channel, maybe because they believe that homes are are unaffordable, they went up too fast, therefore they have to come back down. One of the things that I hear all the time and I strongly disagree with is that everything that goes up must come down. No, no, that's why your grandparents bought a house for, I saw an article yesterday, homes in my community started at $35,000. That was the starting price. Today, homes in that community aren't selling any less than a million dollars. Um, In fact, they're probably selling closer to one, two upwards of one, six, one, seven for some of the models in there. So if things, you know, when went back to their original prices, we wouldn't have inflation. We wouldn't have, um, you know, price increases over time. So don't expect prices to just drop more or less expect prices to get back to the long term trend in the United States. That's 4.6% or something over a 60 year period of time. So that's more of what you should expect looking historically versus looking for big dips. Now, that doesn't mean a dip can't happen, but the only way dips happen, big dips happen, is when you have an excess supply of inventory, a lot of, you know, inventory on the market and not a lot of people to buy it, right? What you've had over the last couple of years is a lot of people chasing too few homes, right? That's what's increased value of homes. That's what's increased rent of properties. And until you get something going the other direction, which we've looked at, we started the show looking at inventory. Inventory year over year is up, but year, year inventory looking right now is down con- considerably from where we started the year. So we're not getting that that bump in in properties available, which in turn keeps properties from moving too far. So again, it's it's an impossible question to answer, like Josh said, but it's it's all about when it's the right time in your life. Jim, some,
1: something yep. you said there before we answer that, something you said sort of just triggered a thought. Yep. We have a lack of supply. Demand is down because of affordability. Demand is not down. I mean, you guys are all here. You want to buy homes. Yep. You may not want to buy at current prices. You may not want to pay the current payments, but you would like to buy a home. So that demand, the ABLE demand, those of you who not only want to buy but are uh, are able to qualify and willing to make the payment will increase if and when rates come down. If rates go up, you will, it will decrease. There will be less of you who are willing and able to do that. So I don't see a formula for additional supply We do believe, for the reasons we've enumerated here many times, that rates are going to come down, that will increase affordability. Will it make homes affordable? No, it will not, but it will increase affordability. So our belief, and Jeb, correct me if I'm speaking for you, is something you don't believe, is that rates will come down, affordability will increase, supply is going to remain constrained. So that is not a recipe for a crash or a monster correction in in homes. Also, because of low affordability, that's not a recipe for huge price appreciation going forward. Um, we talked about, Jeb, you had mentioned what goes up must come down. Well, a different way of saying that fancy scientific term is mean reversion. Mm-hmm. So mean reversion, that mean increases over time. So coming down doesn't necessarily mean going down lower than it was before or even to where it was before. And if you look, we had an extended period of time where home prices were way below trend, way below where they should have been. Believe it or not, you guys, if we were doing this same show, I know YouTube existed then, but they didn't do live. If we had live in 2010, 2011, 2012, Jeb and I would have been here screaming at all of you, please, dear Jesus, buy a home. It's cheaper to own than it is to rent. And we would have people here in the comments, you're crazy shadow inventory yeah, sure, is coming next leg down for sure coming there's w- another 50 uh, percent. Ch- banks are holding back all of the inventory it's going lower and the reason so, he's saying that
0: is because there were people saying it we just weren't on the live listening to it
1: yes so I I would love to tell you there's a magical recipe where things are going to be better for you. I don't think a crash would be good for anyone other than the uh, people who are out of the market who could come into the market at 30, 40 percent lower prices. It would be good for those people. It wouldn't be good for the economy. It wouldn't be good for homeowners. It wouldn't be good for lenders. It wouldn't be good for me or, or Jeb. But. So having said that, we don't say what is likely to happen based off of what's good for us. It's what do the numbers tell us? Is there a recipe for a home price crash? Yes. Rates go to 9% and they stay there for three years. Do I think there's any probability of that happening? Um, not a probability. There's a chance. It could happen. It is incredibly unlikely. And the, the greater likelihood going forward is that rates moderate nowhere near where they were, but better than six and a half, better than six and three quarters. That increases affordability. It props up home prices, but affordability is still low enough. That mean reversion occurs by an extended period of time of below trend growth to offset the three years of monster above trend growth that we had. So. Hate if you want, but those are the numbers. And it doesn't mean that Jeb and I are right or we've read the tea leaves correctly, but it is a reasoned, valid uh, look at the current market based off of 27 years of doing
0: this and 20
1: something years of doing it. It and is more importantly, data.
0: data, data. I'm not just yeah. making this up, it's data. Uh, but let's move on. My other son's on here too. So, hey, Nash and Landon are both here. Um, I still have one other child that's not on here. He can't type or or read or right at this point so we'll we'll let him slide but thanks boys um josh we got a couple more minutes here um i'm about close to to, to tossing the mouse it is it's getting <laughs> i want to really, see it smashed no it tossing be, i want smashing it might be how far i am from the actual computer um so jessica jessica says i love the show guys what is your opinion on purchasing a condo property that was renovated after a fire anything i should watch out for So um, this is something I've never actually encountered that I'm aware of that has been disclosed. Purchasing a property after a fire, um, obviously there's, you know, I could be concerns there. Uh, You know, most of the time coming out of the situations, you've got insurance involved, you've got, you know, city building inspectors making sure things are done correctly. So you probably just more so want to make sure that the work was done, you know, uh, by licensed trade people, um, you know, trades people, if you will. So any documentation of receipts, any documentation of what was done, do they have photos of stuff? I mean, that's what I would be asking for. I think there's probably less of a concern overall. Um, you know, depending on what the actual structure looked like of the house, but you just want to make sure that the work was done correctly. Um, I don't know if there's any, uh, issues with, you know, breathing in things or anything like that, Josh, any, any, anything I'm not thinking of here that should be thought of, um, in, in buying a property like this?
1: Where my brain went to is it's, um, a fire that's structural. It's a condominium. Shouldn't the con the associations insurance have paid for that?
0: Yes. It, well, yes. Um, to Um, If my neighbor
1: has a fire, that can yes. structurally damage my property. I want to make sure that the HOA is ensuring that that thing is structurally put back together to make my unit safe. Like normally if a house is burned out, I have a wholesaler who I, I keep seeing this property on a list. They ask a crazy price in Los Angeles and it's been cut five times. but It's a burned out property in, in L.A., but that's a single family residence. I need to go do my own inspections and make myself comfortable with that. I'm looking at this going. Why didn't the association repair this?
0: Well, here's the thing. Let's think of it like this. Um, Some associations just cover the structure of the building, right? So they just build the exterior back, but they don't finish the inside. They don't give you um, any finishes on your property, right? And so, you you know, depending on what was damaged, what was burnt, like as a kid, here's a really good example. As a kid, me and my cousin were wrestling in the kitchen. Um, One of us turned on the stove. No idea how we did it. Went outside, played basketball in the backyard. The whole time we hear the beeping sound of the smoke detector, but don't really pay any attention to it because we don't really know what the hell's going on. Well, we go back inside and the kitchen is on fire, right? <laughs> what happened? Now, this is a, a smaller single-family home. Um, is that, you know, that work was, ended up being completed back at some point. Um, but I don't know that, you know, anybody actually ever came out there and checked it because nobody really knew um, about the fire other than the family and whatever. My dad happened to be a contractor and all that good stuff. So, you know, in this situation, it's a condo. So it's a little bit more different. I mean, there's there's probably insurance claims against it. I'm assuming when you go to get insurance on the property, if, it's, if you have to get HO6 insurance, something's going to come up on it. Um, but Josh, I, I don't know to answer that question whether or not, you know, Who's responsible for it? I mean, I guess the insurance is responsible, but what happens is the HOA's insurance probably sued the insurance owner, uh, the person who has the other insurance in some cases, maybe, depending on what's covered. I don't know. This is a first for me. Are we, are are we, yeah, I think we beat that to death without really knowing.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one. And again, I've rehabbed a lot of properties, but I'm not a contractor. I've done the work, haven't done the work. My contractors do the work and and my contractor, my preferred contractor has done several burned out properties. So rely on a contractor instead of two numbers guys on, on
0: the YouTube. (laughs) On, on the YouTube. The YouTube. All right, guys, Uh, hour and 56 minutes on here. Um, Does anyone feel like that just flew by? I me <laughs> just kidding. um anyway, would like to ask that if you found any value in the show tonight, uh, we answered your question. um you know, you like being here like chit chatting like uh, again, you like Josh's hat. you know Josh wants some more black hats. if you can find him all a black, black hat all black. he would wear it. if you buy him another color hat, he's still going to wear it guys because that's the stipulation for being on the show is you wear whatever people give you. that's part of the deal. Uh, but anyway, We appreciate you guys. If you haven't listened to already, check out the Educated Homebuyer podcast. It's on Spotify. It's on YouTube. It's on, uh, uh, what's the other ones? Amazon Music. It's on Apple. It's on everywhere. If you want more information on Dream for All, a lot of you guys have asked for it. We're going to publish that video, that podcast on YouTube on Friday. So it is going to be a Friday show this week, a video So go over to the Educated Homebuyer podcast and subscribe, and you'll be able to get that information. But with that said, Josh, anything you want to part with this evening?
1: If you are like Daniel and you're the roughly 35% of viewers tonight who are highly interested in the dream for all program before it goes away, use the form. So right below that scroll, the JebSmith.net forward slash referral. Um, he'll get you connected with me. If you're here in California, we can get you pre-approved for the program. So if you're rip roaring, ready to go, we can have that conversation. Now, if you want to watch when that thing goes live on Wednesday, get some more information and reach out then either way, we'd be
0: happy to walk you through it. Make sure you qualify and help you with it. All right, guys, until next time. Adios. Thanks for listening to The Educated Home Buyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? Please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com slash expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube and make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.